We are in John chapter 9. John chapter 9. And we are going to be starting to read at verse 35 of John 9. And we are continuing along the chronological life of Jesus. And we had talked the last couple of weeks about how he had healed a man who had been born blind. And that man, we read last week, because he had been born blind, they, and that was a fulfillment of a Messianic miracle, the Pharisees had him in, and the Pharisees uh, interrogated him, and because the man would just, just said, Jesus healed me, and uh, he kind of lost his temper a little bit when the, when the, the uh, council didn't believe him, as a result of that, um, he was actually excommunicated. So he was thrown out of the synagogue. So this man, remember what happens to him in the series of, of about one day. He's full grown because we know that, that uh, he was able to testify for himself. So he, he has to be over 20 years old. We know that. He's, he went from being blind and being a beggar, to, and he was born blind, to seeing. And he was quite the hit. I mean, everybody was, was impressed by this. Then he goes before this council, and within a day, he's now excommunicated from the nation of Israel. So from all fellowship. So it's not like he's thrown out of Israel, but he loses the capacity to have all fellowship. It would be, you know, if I could, if I could uh, express this in a way that, that, that would um, maybe help you relate, it's much more than being thrown out of a church, because a church, you just hop into another one. But it would be as if you're, you're a student at, at a particular university and then all of a sudden something happens and you didn't really do anything but uh, the student council or the, the uh, council of the, the university has decided that you are no longer part of this university. Clear off campus. You're, I mean, that would be a pretty devastating thing, wouldn't it? I mean, you're gone. And... There are no other campuses for you to get into. That's what it was like for this man. So this man is now sitting somewhere alone. He's somewhere alone and it says, we're going to start reading this in verse 35 of John chapter 9. Jesus heard that they had put him out. And finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. So Jesus comes to him. Jesus, as we pointed out last time, came to him. We think sometimes that, oh, we came to Jesus. We found Jesus. You know, we may find Jesus, but it's because he's standing right in front of us. Jesus allows himself to be found. Jesus heard that this man was put out. And so he sought him out specifically. And he said, he found him, and he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now this term, Son of Man, is often how Jesus referred to himself. Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man. It's also a, a, an Old Testament term that God used that term also 
for one, one prophet in particular in the Old Testament. So it's not, that term wasn't used, has not been used exclusively for the Messiah, but it's a term that Jesus used of himself. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now you, re- you may remember when this man, when this blind man was brought before the council, the council said to him in verse 17 of the same chapter, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. So this man who had been healed, all he realized about this man, Jesus, is he must be a prophet. And remember, he never saw Jesus before. Jesus came to him when he was blind. Jesus made, made mud out of, out of uh, the spittle and dirt, applied it to his eyes, sent him away to the pool of Siloam, which is at the base of the city. He said, told him to go and wash there. He washed, he could see, but Jesus was not there anymore. Jesus was, had never gone down to the pool of Siloam. So he had never seen Jesus. He had only heard him. So when Jesus comes to him and says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? You cannot help but think that he immediately recognizes the voice. Because the blind in particular are very sensitive to voices. When the brain is not functioning in sight, it compensates in other areas, as it always does. It compensates in areas where where it may not be working. So if he had no sight, he's going to be very sensitive to the voice, the same voice that had said to him, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. That very voice now comes to him and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? As soon as he hears that voice, remember, all he knows is that this man speaking now is the prophet. This is the one who's healed my eyes. So he says to him, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? He accepts that he's a prophet. Tell me, tell me who this son of man is, who this Messiah is, that I may believe in him. And Jesus says, you have both seen him and he is the one who is talking with you. Look at the the response here. Jesus doesn't say, it's me. (laughs) Jesus says, you have both seen him, reminding him of the goodness of God, that now you see. Now you see. You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. You know his voice. You recognize the voice. It's me. You've both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he says, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Again, this is an expression that only suggests that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. For one Jewish man to worship another Jewish man. If the first man were not the Messiah, This would be totally inappropriate. You see in the Bible in many occasions where people would see an angel and they'd fall before the angel and the angel would always say, get up. You know, you're you're worshipping the wrong person. You're falling before the wrong person. Jesus never says, get up. He allows himself to be worshipped. When John, the the Apostle John, uh, uh, I'm sorry, in, in John's Gospel, when Thomas, sees Jesus. He immediately, after he recognizes Jesus risen from the dead, it says he worships him. And Jesus allows himself to be worshipped. 
The worship of Jesus Christ is totally proper. He says, you have both seen Him and He is the one who is talking with you. Think about this, that the Messiah, that the Son of God would come and talk to us. That the Son of God would come and talk to us. This man has gone from being a blind beggar to seeing, to being totally cast out of his community. Everything he knows. Akin to your being tossed out of the university for something you didn't deserve. You'd be in despair. If I lost my job all of a sudden for something I didn't do, oh, I would be in despair. I really would. Jesus finds us in that situation, and He talks to us. Look in in Matthew, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Matthew 11, 28. Let's get a sense for this Jesus who comes and ministers to us. Matthew 11, 28. Here's what Jesus says. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus says this. Imagine the Son of God saying this, ministering. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you are not in a place in your life now where you feel weary and heavy laden, there will be a time. There will be a time that will come. Circumstances come in everyone's life. There's sickness, there's loss, there's pain, there's loss of job, there's loss of friendship. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is what Jesus does. He says, take my yoke upon you. So what's this yoke? This is the thing that you put over a horse or a beast of burden, and they put it over them and they pull. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So Jesus turns the whole thing around. He says, if you learn to take my yoke, to carry my burden, rather than the burden that the world is going to cast upon you, if you carry my burden, Jesus said, just remember, learn from me. Learn from me. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn my ways. If you will do this, if you will learn the ways of Jesus, you will be different. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Look at how the Son of God describes Himself. Jesus comes and describes Himself. He says, I am gentle and humble in heart. I mean, think of world leaders. They don't describe themselves like this. You know, they come, you know, valiantly on big stallions. You know, bearing a big sword in their hand. Jesus says, I am gentle and humble in heart. When we are in that place, 
when we are overwhelmed, Jesus comes and He says, Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When your soul is all stirred up, and there's all these things going on in your life, and it's so hard to think about how you're ever going to pull all these things together, He says, just remember, you will find rest for your souls. I have done this. There have been times that I've just been so stirred up with so many things that I've got to do. And I come before God. And I quote this verse. And He says, take my yoke upon you. And I say, Lord, let me carry your burden. And you take my burden. Then he says, I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. That's the guarantee he gives us. Then he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Look at the way he describes himself. And this is what you see in Jesus. You never see Jesus just frantic, running around to the disciples. Do you know how much I have to do today? you know how many people I'm going to have to heal today? (laughs) You never see him like this. He just, you know, he had a very short window, about three and a half years of ministry, to get a whole lot done. But you never see the man frantic. Isn't that amazing? You never see him uptight. You never see him worried. Truly, he is the Son of God. Truly, he is the Son of God. And he makes you different. There's something different that He brings into our lives. I want you to look at another verse. Powerful verse about this. Look in Isaiah chapter 42. In the Old Testament. You know, sometimes in the Old Testament, Isaiah 42, things are revealed about the Messiah that are never revealed in the New Testament. We can learn things about Jesus in the Old Testament that are never specifically specifically revealed in the New Testament. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. I mean, look at the compassion of our Jesus. In verse 3, a bruised reed. I mean, think of it. You have a reed. There's something coming up from a swamp, and it's just bruised, and it's just, you know, it's just about to fall over. Or, a bruised reed, he will not break it. I mean, Sometimes in our life we feel so bruised, so beaten, and just somebody just touches us and we're going to crumble. Just a bruised reed he won't break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. You know, you'll come a point to a point in your life at different times. You feel, Lord, there's almost nothing left. Just remember, at that time you're a dimly burning wick. And He will not extinguish it. This is the mercies of our God. This is what He ministers. 
If we turn back to John, John chapter 9, John chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus is going to execute the work of salvation in this man's life. The man got the physical healing. He's about to bring the salvation. Salvation in this time was recognizing Jesus Christ as the Messiah. That was their route to salvation. Recognizing that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He comes in. The man recognizes it. He falls at Jesus' feet. He says, I believe, and he worships him. Without salvation, there is no other way. You can do lots of good things in a person's life, but until they are saved, they've never accomplished what you need to get them to accomplish, with the point that they need to get to. And I've, I've dealt with a lot of young people, and sometimes I've had people attend this class, and they've been all around this class, and they've come, and they've talked to me, and they've, they've had the gospel shared with them by me, by, by Chuck, by... Lots of different people. And then, you know, for, for years. And they keep coming. But they never get to the point of saying, I believe. It says in the New Testament in, John, in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that He's risen from the dead, we shall be saved. This is what it says. This is the point we need to get to. And it makes us so different. I would just was spent uh, this week at, at um, a ranch called Game Creek Ranch. It's owned by uh, the Hunt family. The Hunt family is this very big Texas oil tycoon. His family, and so so Herbert Hunt, who is a who's a believer, and as is his, his wife Nancy. And I was invited to their ranch because there was a there was a was called a, an energy roundtable. So a bunch of executives of oil companies come every year and they bring in people like me to just share about uh, out-of-the-box, game-changing ideas on, that might change the industry. So with nanotechnology, it's very easy to talk about a lot of game-changers. But anyway, I told, they, so, so they, they have this huge home and there were probably, I would say, about... Well, maybe about uh, 25 people attending this round table and then a bunch of spouses. So there were a bunch of rooms and, and uh, I knew Shireen couldn't come. And so for the people who were not going to have their wives with them because Shireen's out of town, they had these, they were going to have like four guys to a room. And I told them, I can't easily stay in a room with other people because I wake up very, very early for my morning devotions. And I told them that. I wake up very early. It's not fair to them that I'm moving around in the room as early as I move around. And then he says, well, what time do you get up? And I told him. And he says, oh, this is going to be a real problem. <laughs> so because Shireen is such a saint, she's gotten used to it. And, 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 uh, but, but it's very hard when I'm in somebody else's house. So they, they put me down in the in the bunkhouse, which is down kind of where the cowboys kind of stay. It's not a bad place. And so I was down in the bunkhouse. So I get in the bunkhouse, and it's just covered with Bibles. Bibles everywhere. And I thought, now this <laughs> is where I belong. I belong right here in the bunkhouse. And it was all, I had it all to myself. I mean, there were, there were five beds in there. 
And, uh, but I had it all to myself, my own bathroom, my own kitchen. I mean, it was a nice place. It was just surrounded by Bibles. And then, then I, uh, I put my, left my stuff in the bunkhouse, and, and, and I just, just the feeling in there was just tremendous. Somebody has been praying in this place. It was obvious, just the, the, just the, the sense of the presence of God. Then I went back up to the main house, which was about, just about a half a mile up, up the hill. So I would drive the car back and forth. <laughs> so I went back up to the main house for the meetings that, that first night. And I saw some of the staff and I said, I appreciate all the Bibles in the bunkhouse. I just really... And she said to me, oh, you're going to see more than that. And uh, uh, then I started meeting these folks and I could just look at them. And I knew that they were saved. And I knew that the Holy Spirit was active in their lives. Just beaming. And the one ranch manager, his name was J.T., and uh, he introduced himself, and he's the ranch manager, so he's a cowboy. I mean, they got exotic animals and cattle and all of these things, and, and uh, he came up with a big smile. He says, I've been expecting you. He says, I wasn't sure why they, they put you down in, in the bunkhouse. He said, uh, uh, the way I figure it, either you wake up early to pray or you're a loud snorer, or both. I said, well, I've never been told that I snore, but I do wake up early for devotions. And he just got so excited, and, and uh, his wife is a, is a cowgirl. I mean, she does a lot of stuff. I mean, she's a tough lady, but wonderful lady, but uh, she does a lot of the ranching, too. And just to see their faces. I'll tell you, when a person is saved, and the Holy Spirit is working in their lives, there is something different. Something different about them. And I, I, took, I had some CDs of, of some messages that I've given, and I gave them to Mr. and Mrs. Hunt, and then to all of the staff members. And there were Bibles everywhere, even in the main house. And just to see the love of God, and what was happening in the lives of people, when you meet people that have really been filled with the Holy Spirit, something is different. Jesus comes into a life, and He makes them different. Now, that doesn't mean that they never have a down day, but so they had all sorts of things so that you'd, you'd meet in the morning for these roundtable discussions and then, then you'd have a, a few hours, you'd eat lunch and then maybe you'd have an hour and a half and then you'd meet again in the evening for another roundtable discussions and each discussion section was like uh, three hours or something. So, but there was time in between there's, and they had lots of things that you could do there. I mean, the hunts were very gracious people. You could do skeet shooting, you could you know, drive golf balls out into the fields from up on a hill. You could uh, go horseback riding. You could go sightseeing and seeing all the exotic animals. But that cowboy, he looked at me and says, how about you and I just get together and pray? I said, that's perfect. I like that. So right after lunch, he drove up with his truck. I said, so, so you're gonna, we, we're going to go off and pray together. I said, you're going to come on a horse and... We're going to go off. He said, no, I'm going to come in my truck. So, and then we went, we went off to another, another building and we prayed. And just so exciting to be around people that are saved. And sometimes to express this to people who have never been saved, they're like, I'm not sure what you're talking about. What happens is when you get to a point where Jesus Christ has moved in your life, and you come to a point where you say, as this man said, I believe. And you start to worship Jesus. In the New Testament, it's put this way. That we confess that indeed Jesus is Lord. 
we confess that and we believe that indeed Jesus has risen from the dead, that makes us different. There is something different. This guy could see, and we just got together, this cowboy and I sat at this table in this little ranch house. And uh, uh, he looked at me and, and he said, I can tell you just want to make Jesus smile. I said, you got it. I just want to do His will. And we just both fell on our knees together, and I'm holding this cowboy's hands, and we are just praying. And to me, this was such a delight. I didn't have to go horseback riding or skeet shooting. Or anything. I just got together with this guy and just prayed. Something happens in the life of a person when they get saved. There is a change. There is a difference. And then this thing develops the more we spend time with Jesus. As the Word of God says, Jesus said, come and learn from me and you will find rest for your soul. And there's so many things going on and so much happening and so many projects and all these things. But I'll tell you, my soul is still at rest. It really is still at rest. I'm amazed at how much people of God get done in their lives. My soul is very much at rest. It comes by an act. There is a time of salvation that comes. It was not sufficient for this blind man to merely be healed. He had to come to the point of being saved. And Jesus hears he's cast out, boom, he's right on him. He brings this man to the point of salvation. It is important to be saved. And then it is important to learn from him, to have him minister in your life. And then let's finish up this portion in, uh, in, in uh, verse 40 of John chapter 9. Verse 40. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Oh, let, let me go up and read verse 39. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said, We're not blind too, are we? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, We see, your sin remains. I mean, Jesus never pulled any punches. I mean, when he, when he had to say it, he just said it. So Jesus said, This is why I came into the world, so that those who are blind would see. But also those who are seeing are going to be blind. So the Pharisees say, hey, we're not blind too, are we? You're telling us we're blind? Jesus said, if you were blind, you'd have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. I mean, this whole thing of pride is just so, so off-putting to Jesus. To think that we really understand and we have hold of this thing. I want you to, I was reading this portion in Proverbs this week and it really underscored this to me. If, if you turn to Proverbs 28, Proverbs 28, I'm sorry, Proverbs 26, Proverbs 26, and, and uh, in Proverbs 26, he's talking about a fool and you see that, that, um, you know, all this stuff that goes on with a fool. Proverbs 26, verse 7. Like the legs which are useless to the lame, so a proverb in the mouth, so is a proverb in the mouth of fools. 
Like one who binds a stone in a sling, so is he who gives honor to a fool. So think about this. If someone gives honor to a fool, it's like taking a sling, but tying, binding the stone in the sling. I mean, it's the wrong thing to do. He says, like an archer who wounds everyone, so is he who hires... So, he, so is he who hires a fool or who hires those who pass by. Like an archer who wounds everyone. I mean, think about this. So you have an army and you have this archer. and he, You know, he's always turning around and stabbing people by accident with his arrows. He bends down and his quiver pokes into somebody. You know, oh, sorry about that. I thought that was a tree I was practicing in. He's wounding everyone. He says, this is what a fool is like. Someone who hires a fool or who hires someone who's passing by. This has taught me a lot. Don't hire people who just knock on your door and say, oh, I can fix this or fix that. Don't hire someone who's passing by. You hire them by recommendation or something, but not just someone who's passing by. Verse 11, like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. So, you see, the, the author here is really, not really enamored by fools, right? Verse 12, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. So getting back to this topic of being wise in our own eyes, of thinking that we see when we're blind, of thinking that we've got it, that we understand. You know, it's so easy to become blinded. They say, we're not blind also, are we? He said, if you were blind, you'd have no sin. But because you say, we see, your sin remains. The humility of heart that Jesus wants us to have is so important. So important. You will go through different phases in your life. And you will see that, that you, you'll have sometimes just a great outpouring. You pray for this event and it's just this tremendous outpouring. God has used you and so powerfully. What follows that is very often this, this real spiritual crash. This same thing happened to the prophet Elijah. And you, it's almost predictable in your life now when God has used you very powerfully or you've been to a Christian conference and everything is just so glorious. A day later, two days later, three days later, there's going to be just a... And we have to realize that God uses these things to help us to see that, hey, without Him, we are really nothing. We are really nothing without Him. Lord, I daily need You in my life. I daily need You in my life. He keeps calling us back to that. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for Your Word that you met this man in his despair. I pray for these young people that they would remember. They would remember this passage. That when they are dimly burning wick, you will not extinguish them. That if they would but take your yoke upon themselves, that they would find rest for their souls. Father, I pray that they would learn to extract from Jesus the blessing of His presence, the goodness of His presence. Father, I pray that You bless them, 
and open them up, Lord, to You and to Your ways. Father, I pray that You teach them from the Word of God and let them not walk in pride in the pride of their hearts thinking that they have it. Father, I pray that they be constantly saying, Lord, more. Help me. Give me more, Lord. Help me, I pray. Father, I pray Your mercies, Your great mercies to be upon them. In the name of Jesus. Amen.